Say That, the podcast for your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. You know what? I'm going to say it. It's go time. Oh. Wow. Wow. Go time. You heard it here first. Yeah. You're here, folks. It's going to be one of those shows. It's indeed go time. Joining us, Alder Mercer, Tennessee, is Lee Younger. Oh, yeah. Lee, did you just... Did I just see you on camera smash through the wall of a building and... And as your way of entrance, that seems unnecessary. You did indeed. I'm. An you ex- said it was go time. I'm inexplicably made of glass and filled with a red liquid. <laughs> On the plus side, though, you're smiling the biggest smile I've ever seen. So it's, oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, we've never done go time on the podcast before. And little, little did any of you know that it involved Lee turning into the Kool-Aid man. And uh, who knows what other beloved uh, product mascots we will come over the course of this show. Can I share a praise report related to that? I, I'm report? not sure how, but sure. If you got one. Wait, wait. Before What's Jed shares heart, his Jed? praise report. Before Jed shares his praise report, I have an unspoken prayer request. Okay. Oh, let's go ahead, Jed. All right. So Lee's got a porn related prayer request because we all know that's <laughs> always what that means. And uh, Jed has something on his heart to share. All right. So I've been, you know, just for fun, you know, kind of like. I've been looking at stuff that I enjoyed when I was a kid and being like, I wonder if it's still cool. And some of it is not. For example, did you enjoy the animated G.I. Joe show? Don't don't try and revisit that. Like that's okay. a you need to leave that in the past and just enjoy thoughts of, you know, Destro with a laser cannon. Yeah, just just watch the uh, the ironically made um, overdubbed PSA segments on YouTube. Yeah, much, much better idea. But y'all, I'm not going to lie. Big League Chew holds up. It is exactly as good as I remember it. Maybe better. Wow. It is great. Big League Chew. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Jed, knowing what I know about uh, your your upbringing with the homeschooling and the pastor's child and the the Georgia, I'm almost surprised that Big League Chew was not considered a sin on the grounds of it just it just feels like this is something. Well, it's it's edgy. It's the PG thirteen of candy to be sure, but somehow <laughs> it was able to slip through. <laughs> Big League Chew. My 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 experience with Big League Chew was on my paper route in the seventh grade, like which most of the money of my for my that I earned on my paper route went to two subscriptions of different Spider Man titles that were delivered to my house Ooh. every month. From Marvel, and the rest of the money was stocked away for a pair of uh, uh, Jordan Sevens. Yes, the yes. Hair Jordans, and um, and then I would hit hit up the Weigels. Uh, only Matt knows what that means. A uh, uh, convenience store and uh, and snag some Big League Chew, maybe an icy every now and then. Oh, now that's a combo for a seven year old. That's a diversified yes. portfolio. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm on bigleaguechew.com. Okay. <laughs> uh, on the buy BLC tab. And yeah. here's the thing I didn't know because I was never really into the Big League Chew. Um, is that there are flavors other oh, than yeah. just bubble gum. Yeah. Yeah. You got your out of here original ground ball grape. I think I have a knowledge of there being a grape one at some point. Yes, Swinging sour apple. Yep. Big Rally Blue Raspberry and okay. Slammin' Strawberry. Yeah, yeah. Which of these did you partake in in your Big League Chew revisit? 
Okay, so there's two parts to that answer because this is this is an issue with depth, and so I want to give it the kind of consideration that sure. it deserves. You're a journalist yeah. above all else. <laughs> I, I am. I am. I, I believe in the truth. And so I began with the slamming strawberry okay. um, because uh, that's what they happened to have when I was checking out at the party city. And the part of my brain that normally resists impulse purchases was, I don't know, taking a walk or something. Um, and you so bought something to eat at the party city. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I feel like I you did. can't just skip past that part. Yeah, it was, it's not one of my prouder moments. The but impulse given that it, buy aisle at party yeah. city, you yeah. bought something to ingest. Yeah, that's right. That's okay. Right. I think that gives yeah. the the listener a good view into the, into the, the, the kind of enigma that is Jed Brewer. <laughs> something, something you bought at party city, you then put into your mouth. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, and you know, just as Picasso had his blue period, like I'm kind of just, I'm in my strawberry period right now because it was first the slam and strawberry big league chew. But then in the spirit of pairing big league with an icy, I, I then later paired it with a strawberry monster. And, wow. um, that was a lot that we may have almost over strawberried there for, for a minute, but I got through it and you know what? No regrets. Okay. Do you know what Picasso's blue period was? <laughs> I assume that it's when he was really into like the blue flavored candy. Okay. Like, I mean, no one really knows what that flavor is. It just tastes like blue. But like when people talk about his blue period, I assume that's what they mean. <laughs> that like he was doing like a lot of the, like the blue ices and like, you know, that as okay. he was Airheads painting or whatever he did. Yeah. Okay. Now I can't prove it. I can't prove that's not true, but see, I, my, my art history career has begun. No doubt. Jed, did you ever grab like the blue fun dip? Lick a made. Oh, like the sticks and then the powder. Yeah. The stick and the powder, man. Yeah, dude. Definitely. Definitely. Why was all candy when we were growing up trying to imitate drugs of some kind or another? <laughs> there was the line in the, in the Judd Apatow, uh, freaks and geeks where the kid is eating the lick made fun dip. And another, an older kid drives up in the the like convertible Trans Am, and is like, "What are you eating? Dish soap?" And then like a big distorted chord just goes, <laughs> "Yeah." For for all the jokes about millennials eating Tide Pods, which are just kind of boomer jokes, um, you guys are the ones who made candy that looks like all sorts of household cleaning products. <laughs> yeah. Also, I'm fascinated by the fact that, as they should have, uh, candy cigarettes were pretty much outlawed, I think, in general. I'm sure they still make sure, some yeah. version of it. But imitation chewing tobacco, we were all like, no, that's cool. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. It's great. Totally. So cool that, again, I'm on BigLeeChew.com. And so they have the flavors. But then there's also some uh, some different sizes of gumball yeah. buckets you can buy. Okay. 80 count. A two forty count, yeah, yeah, or a fifty five count mini gumball to go cup. Ooh, I think the two forty count is for like a baseball tournament. Yeah, like a youth baseball tournament. That is a lot of gum. It it comes in what looks like a legitimate bucket. Well, and to that point, here's here's something just to consider to ponder, right? Have you ever regretted food out of a bucket? Because I have not. 
All of my bucket-based food experiences have actually been pretty positive. Elucidate at least a couple of bucket-based food experiences for us, Jed. (laughs) He's already given us an episode title. That was fantastic. Many many of your fine, popular fried chicken establishments do serve the chicken in a bucket. That's fair. That is fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, You've obviously, you know, you've got your, your bucket of gumballs. Um, you know, per the sure. big league previously chew. mentioned, but then you've also got, um, pro- possibly the funniest Monty Python moment of all time comes. I'm pretty sure it's the beginning of meaning of life, but where a gentleman at a fine Michelin starred restaurant requests, bring me the meats in a bucket. <laughs> and if you have seen this sketch, you know, what's about to happen and it is the reason <laughs> cinema was invented. I can't eat another bite. <laughs> I can't. I can't eat another bite. Not another It's wafer thin. <laughs> it's a wafer thin. <laughs> okay, as, as we transition here, I have one more uh, bit of insight from the Big League Chew website. So you've got your, uh, they've got like a the little side menu. So like, you can, novelties, which they also have make a baseball and a baseball bat shaped delivery system Uh but then you know you've got your buckets you got your flavors but then there's seasonal which i was fascinated by so i clicked on and it's just blank so i like the idea that there was some kind of power struggle at big league chew headquarters where someone was like we can make a peppermint one and other people were like it's too dangerous i love it i'm trying to think like I don't, I don't think, and I'm not a pumpkin spice hater. Okay. I want to be clear on that. It's delicious, but I don't think you could do like, I don't think it's resonant to make pumpkin spice big league chew. So I'm trying to think what like the fall flavor that you could do that would work well would be, it feels like apple cider donut, big league chew would be closer. Wow. Like that's, that's in a, it's not perfect, but it's in a better direction. I think apple cider's way up there. Something cinnamon's almost a little too leaning into Christmas. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, we're we're coming upon the uh, the Halloween season. So, is there some way to have a uh, a candy corn flavored Big League Chew and create Let's the most horrifying it. thing in history? Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah, I like Big it. League Chew, but it has that waxy texture to it. <laughs> oh! Oh! Yeah. Wow! Is there any uh, flavor that's associated with spring? Like once you get past Christmas, you get past like the spruce and the pine and the peppermint and everything. Like, is there any flavor at all that's associated with that, with that season with spring? Well, I mean a little bit, maybe like you could think of marshmallows because of like peeps with, with Easter slash spring yeah. or like so some gotta, kind of St. Patrick's something. There's, there's gotta be like a St. Patrick's something there. Dude, if you could distill the McDonald's Shamrock Shake uh, into a flavor and do that with Big League Chew, I would try that. Or just I would beer. definitely. What's up? Or just beer, I guess, for St. Patrick's. Yes. Day. IPA also Big League that. Chew. <laughs> I think that would be depressingly well-selling. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. It's a lip full of hops. It. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I looked up spring flavors just to see what people would have, and most of it is is uh, seasonal fruits, uh, like strawberries, berries, rhubarb. I guess kind of 
maybe you know as we live in a yeah a more a world where you can get stuff shipped in from anywhere i guess that's that's that part of seasonality is a little gone but we did want to mention um because uh jed brewer is a man of of contrasts oh, so indeed. sometimes he's buying his uh his treats from the front of the party city yeah um the good part yep and other times he's in europe maybe you've heard of it yeah yeah <laughs> And speaking of foods and flavors, we did want to quickly check in on the fine people of Belgium, where Jed found a truly trippy mural, which over the next few minutes, I would like him to do his best to explain in the visual meaning of podcasting here, because I think it's really worth exploring. Okay, so I'm I'm on a layover and, you know, basically got a few hours in 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 Brussels, and there's this little village near the airport that's really lovely and you know there's a lot of public transit and so there's this big you know elevated train and they've clearly commissioned like a community mural which is really really cool you'll see this in cities and it's it's a really neat thing and as is often the case there's a theme and the theme here is fruit right and so like you've got all kinds of interesting stuff you know you've got a, a banana with a saxophone that's a you know a, a musician banana and you've got you know a a construction worker grape who's got his ladder and his hammer and he's off to work building a house for grapes, I guess. Um, but at a certain section I'm looking and I'm recognizing, wait a second, cause these fruits are then are all labeled. These are the fruits of the spirit. And ah, indeed they are. We've got all of them covered. And in fact, one of them appears to be carrying an, an attache case um, that actually says Galatians five on it, which is uh funky, but, cool um but there's a few things to note the first is they all have weirdly human faces like yeah. all of the the other fruits on this mural like the rock and roll banana like it it looks like a cartoon banana but these have a really almost off-putting quality of like you took a cartoon <laughs> fruit but then you pasted a real human face onto it and it's weird it's really super weird. It's this weird like mix of the vegetate of vegetales. And if you guys remember the California raisins. Yes. Yeah. That like they try to do reboots of like we can do it when not claymation and really good rendering software. Oh no, too real, too much face. <laughs> <laughs> but now the, the other thing though, right. Is anytime, I mean, you know, Anytime there is an artistic expression of scripture, it is always a form of commentary on the scriptures, even whether the artist intends it or not. It always serves as that. And here we have one of my most notable bits of scriptural commentary in quite some time. Um, the the fruit kindness, which I think we're agreed is a pear. I think that's what we're looking at. Does does seem to be a green pear. Is either holding a sign or it's like a thought bubble, like from a comic book that says, help, I'm here against my will. And I am fascinated as to why kindness, the pair, is a reluctant inclusion in the fruits of the spirit. Yeah, that's a thinker. Because nobody else has any kind of weird meta commentary thing like that, like... uh One's flying a kite and one has a bag with Galatians 5.22.23 written on it, as Jed mentions. Yeah, the, um, like the patient, patient's pickle is just happy to be there. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, Peace is, is chilling. He's got a ball cap on for some reason. 
Love is a pineapple with sunglasses and a handbag. Faithfulness to Blueberry. Really disturbing face, but has yeah. like a Trader Joe's bag. Yep. And seems to yep. be doing okay. But then there's, yeah, then there's the kindness pair. Who, who apparently is uh, doing a, a Deadpool-style fourth wall breaking to point out that he is in somehow here against his will. And as Matt pointed out before the show opened to us in the chat, looks a lot like Richard Nixon. Yeah. yeah. Can't tell if that just means Nixon has a pear-style, a pear-shaped face, which is entirely possible, <laughs> but it's notable. Yeah. It, it is, and I don't, you know, one of the things about murals is you never know how many artists are involved, and, like, there's there's a chance that, like, one artist or group of artists made some of this and somebody else went and filled in details. But like, it's worth noting that all of these weirdly human faces do seem pretty happy to be there other than kindness who is kind of doing a bit of a grimace. So. So, yeah, um, I think we really covered a lot here in the emergency segments. Um, Art, big league chew, all the cultural touchdowns that make uh, life what it is. Dude, we often love to tie in new product offerings. I'm talking about a collab between Big League Chew and Say That, Fruits of the Spirit flavor, Big League Chew. Whoa, Uh, dude. Right? Only kindness is on a march against its will. Forced marriage. (laughs) Much like this artist, you know, Jed mentioned sometimes with murals, particularly like it'll be a collaboration between many artists. I'm assuming that's not the case in this one because I can't imagine people having this conversation out loud about what if yeah. kindness didn't want to be there, but also he was a pair, but also Richard Nixon. Like that seems too weird even for <laughs> artists. I love the idea of there being a Mad Men style boardroom where a bunch of people pitching what fruit of the spirit um, Bigly Chew should taste like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is the essence of faithfulness? Lemon? Ah, I don't think so. What else you got? And with that said, please take a moment, pause your podcast player, take a walk, ponder for yourself that existential question as we declare emergency off mm. and move to your fine questions. If you have a question with us, that's not about why did you do that last segment. We don't have an answer to that question. We don't I know. mean, we enjoyed it. Sure. That's something. That and that, in many ways, the fact that we enjoyed it raises more questions than answers. <laughs> but if you have a question for us about that or anything else, you can hang out with us all the way to the end, or scroll down into your episode description, click the links you find there. Our first question this week comes in and says, "How do I deal with my family when they're driving me crazy? I want to maintain the relationships, but I feel like drama is taking t- up too much of my time right now." Mm. And a great question we can always tell as we round towards the holiday season. Uh huh. People's minds turn to such things. And Jed, where would we start off here? It's a great question. I'm sorry that your family's driving you crazy. If it's any comfort, all of us on the show can relate to that experience. Right. I would say everybody's situation is a little bit different, right? And so, you know, I can't tell you point for point what would be the right fit for you, but I can give you some general tools that are almost always useful. You'll have to figure out how to apply them to your situation, but. Um, these are ones that have definitely been helpful for me, but they've also been helpful for plenty of people that I know. So 
The first one um, is probably the most useful, which is limit the duration of the time that you spend with the most problematic people. Right. So like I have, and not just relatives, I, I have people that I love and that I care about. And I'm aware this person has about 90 minutes of interaction before the misbehavior is going to begin. This person has a couple hours, you know, this person has an overnight visit in them before the um, misbehavior begins. And I think honestly, there's something freeing about being able to say there's a person or people or whatever that I love and care about. And there's a length of visit that could actually, or a length of interaction that could probably be fairly positive. And then there's everything that comes after that and giving yourself the permission to say, there's nothing wrong with a positive 45 minute visit that is then over before it can get bad. Um, the idea that more is more is actually really not true and, and definitely not when you've got kind of, you know, problematic family members. So giving yourself permission to say, yes, I will meet grandma for dinner for 90 minutes and then I am moving on to my next thing. That can work super, super well. You kind of have to figure out, again, who the people that need it are and the amount of time that they are able, but um, that can be really, really useful. The next thing is learning how to curate topics of conversation and how to keep a conversation on those topics, right? So, like, when you think mm -hmm. about your high-drama family members – there's probably stuff that they are magnetically drawn to that's a bad idea. Maybe that's talking about politics. Maybe it's talking about um, religious stuff. Maybe it's just talking smack about other people in the family. But it can work pretty well to basically figure out, here are three topics that I can talk about with Cousin Fred. Um, that maybe they're innocuous, maybe they're positive, but the key thing is they're not awful. And that's, that's really what we're going for. The more that you're clear on what those topics are, the more you can try and keep the conversation on those topics. And if you if you put the two ideas so far together, you can plan a social interaction, whether it's a phone call or a dinner or whatever, of like, I'm trying to fill an hour with this person. Here are the three topics I'm confident that we can talk about without it being awful. I am going to plan the way that this conversation goes to try and stay on things that they can be cool about for the one hour that I think that they're able to be cool. Yeah. Then here's the next one. And it kind of builds on that. Know your escape plan. Know the thing. Know some people call it a backstop. Know you're out. Know the, the reason why you have to now move on from this phone call or this dinner or this appearance at a holiday party or whatever. Maybe it's that you've got work. Maybe it's that you promised your boyfriend or your girlfriend that you'd meet up with them. Maybe it's you've been volunteering with the kittens and stuff and you got to go do that. Um, it doesn't really matter as long as you're clear in advance what your out is. That's going to help a lot with your confidence. That's going to help a lot with... Um, Weirdly, the more that you're aware of when you're leaving and why you're leaving, the more it will allow you to be present during the time that you're there. Yeah. Um, and the more it will allow you to be in that mode of curating the conversation and um, keeping it as much as it can be, you know, in a good space. And then the last one, it just kind of goes along with all of this, which is practicing in advance different ways to say no about different things, right? So if you know, for example, that 
you're talking to cousin Fred and he is going to want to just talk awful stuff about cousin Bob. Think about in advance the way that you want to handle that, the way that you want to say no to it, right? Because it, it, maybe it is like, hey, if you're the latest with cousin Bob, you just go, no. I mean, maybe that's the way you want to handle it, but you may want to think about just given who you are and who they are and, and the way that, that you like to express things. Like, have you heard the latest about cousin Bob? You know, I actually haven't, man. You know, I know there's some stuff there, but dude, I really wanted to get your opinion on this latest star Wars movie. Can we, can we check into that? That is one gentle way to say no and to redirect. The more that you think about your ways to say no in advance, the more confident you'll be in doing them, but also the quicker you will be able to, to use them. And speed actually really, really matters when you're kind of redirecting a conversation and saying no to inappropriate stuff. And the more that you can say no without it being a big deal, right? Like if you kind of have to pause and think about it and collect yourself rightly or wrongly, that kind of heightens the drama. But if they're like, you know, you wouldn't believe what Cousin Bob did, I'm I'm sure I wouldn't, man. I know, you know, it's a tough world out there. But anyway, like, if it's fast and it's simple like that, it lowers the drama a lot and it lowers the temperature a lot. But to do that well, you kind of have to figure out in advance how you want to do that. You kind of have to rehearse that for yourself a little bit. If you do all of those things, if you, you know, practice saying no and how to say no, you know what your out is, if you know your escape plan, if you figure out the conversations they can have that are positive and, and kind of how to keep it on that. And again, the amount of time that they're probably capable of before it starts to melt down. I think those things in general are your best bet for having as healthy and positive interactions as are possible. I, that's a really, really sharp way to start that off. And Lee, where do we go from there? It's really good advice, man. I, I completely agree with all this stuff that Jed's saying. And there's a there's a unique thing in here that we need to pay attention to, which is that not every relationship is the same. That's an important thing to understand. I don't have to have the same level of connectedness to every single person in my life for the relationship to be a win. We've talked a lot about on the show about boundaries and and that that you know that the the whole point of boundaries is you saying what you will do or you won't do. You're, you're, you're actually, your goal is not to actually change another person because you can't really do that. Your goal is to demonstrate and to assert what you will or you won't do. But beyond the boundaries conversation with this conversation, what you're talking about with troublesome family members is to kind of like think about what the relationship is, what it could be, and to kind of Try to figure out what the goal is. What is a good goal for a win in this relationship? I'm not saying this person's going to be my best friend. I'm not saying this person is going to be the closest person to me and my extended family. But how can I get a win here? Um, and I think the biggest part of understanding that, taking in a lot of the things that Jed just said, how can you relate to this person in a way that's healthy? How can you relate to this person in such a way that it works for you and it doesn't, it's not a drag, it's not a drain and you have a positive interaction. The really, really cool thing is if you can take a troublesome relationship and then you can figure out how, how can we be in the same space or how can we spend some time together that would actually be a win, man, that is tr some strategic brilliance. So uh, let me give you a quick example. 
Um, in my extended family, I grew up going to the same Thanksgiving meal every single year um, at, 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 a, at a family member's house, my extended family, that was troublesome for most of us. Um, just a difficult person who owned this house. And like multiple people in these interactions would walk away feeling hurt or feeling, you know, uh, upset or dissed or whatever in, in, in these interactions. The one thing that we could do really, really well was that we could all pick up guitars and mandolins and banjos and stuff like that. And we could play country music together. These are family members of mine who live just outside of Nashville, Tennessee, and we could do that. And if you look at it, like there's a couple ways to look at this and some of this attitude helps. One of the ways is, man, I have a terrible relationship with these family members and the only way we can possibly interact is to play some music together. That sucks. Now, you're not wrong. That does suck. But another way to reframe this is if I'm going to have a healthy interaction with this family member, then I need to uh, make sure that when if I go to their house, we get to the music as fast as possible. And then when the music ends, I peace out. That's the way that works. And we can call that a win. We interacted. We played some music together. That all works. And that's what we're doing there is we're kind of knowing the individual nature of the different relationships that we have. Because like, like, like Jed is telling us, all of these relationships are different. That's not a bad thing. Not every relationship is going to have the same closeness or the same connecting points. This comes down to us having the eyes to identify what works doing what works, calling that a win, and then tapping out. That's what we're doing here. So um, all this stuff that, that Jed said is super important. I want to relate a, a, a similar thing that Jed said. I, I just want to underline it because it was such a great point. Jed said to know what your out is. When I'm talking to young people who are learning how to give talks, like whether that's like, you know, giving a giving a talk at a, you know, at, at a youth meeting or giving, or, you know, uh, preaching a sermon in a, in a, in a jailhouse or whatever that thing is. I always tell them, make sure you know what your last sentence is first. I want you to know how you're getting out of this talk. It's the thing that people don't plan for. Well, they always plan for that opener. Okay. The opener is great. That's important, but I want you to know how you're getting out of this talk. And that is such a great point. Know what your thing is. Oh, man, that was some great music that we just played together. So great to be with you. Loved that rendition of whatever, whatever that we just worked out. I've got to go meet so-and-so. It was great seeing you. Can't wait till we play next time. And then you're out. And that is such an important point. But all of this comes down to changing our perspective. Not every relationship is the same. Not every relationship has the same kind of closeness. So. Let's change our goals. Let's find out what works. Underline those things as if we can pull that off, that will be a win. And that's not an unhealthy relationship. That's us identifying what actually makes this relationship work on its own terms. Absolutely. I, I, I'm picturing Lee leaving uh, the, the bad Thanksgiving, like the, uh, the band in the Simpsons. When Spinal Tap is on The Simpsons, good night, Springton. There will be no encore. <laughs> I'm just gone. Uh, great yes. stuff from both of these guys. I will say is kind of so. These guys gave you a lot of great specifics for the 
the physical interaction, but there's, I think that's applicable to kind of the meta idea as well here, where generally if you're family and family stuff or any group of people, really any, any aspect of your life really is in a point where it's just giving you too much of a headache. Um, really you can, you get to decide how much an energy you want to give to that. So as these guys are saying, you're not going to probably not going to fix crazy uncle Ray and you're probably not going to make it so that Thanksgiving is awesome and you feel great about it and everybody has a wonderful time. Um, but you can, you can set a realistic expectation for what good is and then put as much effort as you feel like you have to get to that and then run in some version of it. And then maybe that's something that happens over the phone or maybe that's a family text thread where you, you throw it on mute and give the courtesy, uh, you know, thumbs up to something that's funny that somebody says. Um, but I think one of the things where as you're learning boundaries is the idea that you have to engage with every, the only options are engage with every little bit or um, just bail fully, which you mentioned in your question, you don't want to do. Hey, and Hey, we always encourage bailing. If you're in that kind of situation, you don't have to go, but if for whatever reason you've decided that I want to have this conversation or keep these lines of communication open, um, you're in charge of how much you you effort you put into that, and that is uh, seems like a basic thing, but it's something that is actually pretty easy to lose track of when people are doing kind of crazy things that feel like they're demanding attention. You get to decide how much attention you give to those things, and don't let that that power be pulled away from you. With that, we move on to our second question. Here it comes in and says, "I'm getting discouraged about prayer. I don't feel like anything is happening, and I don't really feel anything either. What can I do?" And another great question. We super appreciate uh, the the frankness and the honesty. And Jedward, we start off. This is a great question. I'm sorry you're feeling discouraged. Um, we care about you and um, we love you. And let's begin with something that Lee said in the previous question, which is the idea of goals. What are your goals for your prayer life? That could, if you've never thought about that before, that could be maybe a strange sounding question because I think for a lot of us, prayer is the thing you're supposed to do. Cause, cause it's good and you gotta, and you're supposed to, so just, you know, do it and hope that something happens, but you're allowed to have goals for your prayer life. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you don't have any goals for your prayer life, it will be very hard to know if you've hit them. Um, or if it's, if it's doing what you hope it might let's, because it might be a little bit easier to just kind of make peace with, let's look at something that's similar to prayer, but can be fully a spiritual and it would be maybe a little bit easier to think about goals which is meditation. Meditation can be a very very good thing, but actually in a sense goals are a part of meditation. People will talk about an intention, you know, for their for their practice, but people meditate cuz they're they want it to do something. Maybe they're doing it as a way of lowering their stress level, maybe they're doing it as a way to try and get in touch with an element of their inner self. Maybe they're doing it um, just as a, a matter of personal discipline, but there are there are probably as many variations on why someone would meditate as there are people. And the more that you have a sense of what it is you're hoping to get out of meditation, the more not only can you gauge whether it's doing that, but the more you can dial in what your practice of meditation looks like. Prayer, I think, has a lot of overlaps there where some pe people pray for all kinds of reasons. Some people pray because they need a safe place to 
be able to say that things are going very poorly and ask for help. Um, and it's really the, the outcome that they're looking for is having gotten to utter those words, having had the opportunity to say, I am not doing well and I super duper need help. Other people pray because they are concerned about the people in their life or situations in their life. And they are just, they need a place where they can express to some kind of cosmic listening ear. I hope the situation improves, right? Think of, of all the prayers of please watch over uncle Steve and please watch over cousin Ben and please watch over aunt Susie. That's another way of saying I'm concerned about these people. And I, and I hope that they do okay. And, and whatever problems they're going through, I, I hope that those problems improve. And I, I feel a need to be able to go somewhere and express that I am concerned about these people and I want better things for them. That's a, a perfectly legitimate reason to pray. Um, people pray because they're seeking wisdom and they're seeking direction. People pray because they're seeking protection. People pray because they're seeking a, a deeper sense of being in touch with God and with their own selves. Um, people sometimes pray because they have an overwhelming degree of existential angst and they don't know where else to go or where else to say these words. All of these and a million others are perfectly lovely reasons to pray. The, the one commonality that they share for sure is first there's a thing that is a concern to me. There's a thing within me that needs, there's a burden within me. And then there is typically for most people, when they think about prayer, at least the tiniest little mustard seed of belief that God might care about this thing. That's a burden to me. That's it. Past that. It's, I think there's as much variety as, as there are in human beings. And so for you, why are you praying? Is that you're looking for comfort? You're looking for wisdom? You're looking for um, better outcomes for the people that you care about? Why are you praying? Recognizing there's actually not a bad reason for you to pray. Mm. There's, there's not like an incorrect reason that you need to be looking out for. Like one of the things that Christian culture is really super bad about is telling people that they're doing good things, but for the wrong reasons. And so it's bad. Like you're going to church, but you're only going there to meet friends, not to worship the Lord. Dude, you should go to church for whatever reason you want to go to church. Like if, if you're going there because it's a, you know, it's a safe place to hang out on a Sunday morning. It's great. It's a beautiful reason to go to church. There's not a wrong reason to pray, but the more that you can be in touch with, with what's driving you to prayer, I think it, it can help you to, be more intentional in the way that you spend that time in prayer. And I think it can also help you to have a better sense of the kind of fruit and the kind of outcomes that you might be looking for to know whether this is moving the needle on the things that you care about. I think it's a wonderful place to start that off and leave. Where do we pick things up? I love that. I, I, I think it's a fantastic thing. And and I agree with Jed. I'm, you know, I'm sorry that you're having some frustration there. I, 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 I will definitely say that, you know, depending on your church experience, you may have received plenty of words of shame uh, from people in leadership positions over having a hard time, uh, you know, in your prayer life. Plenty of us have. If that's the case, I'm, I'm really sorry that you experienced that. Um, the thing that I would point to is 
I would take it right back to where Jed began, which when he was talking about meditation, the thing that occurred to me when I read your question was like, instead of trying to talk yourself into something that you're not experiencing, let's just remove all of the shame and remove all of the religious overtones whatsoever. And let's just look at the experience itself and just sit and just ask a couple questions. Like what would like, if we made the goal, I want to take some time out of every day and just kind of step out of my day for a minute and experience a few moments of peace. Um, what, like, here's a couple questions for that. What would be an environment that you think might bring about a state of peace for you? That's going to be different for every single person who hears the sound of my voice right now. But I think it would be worth it for you to even hit pause on this episode and to ponder that for a minute, to, to write down some possibilities, by the way, to try some things out and see if it's true. Um, you might find that you're surprised with what is an actual environment in your world that as you intentionally enter into it, helps you personally enter into a state of more peace. Um, the second thing is, second question, how reasonably, how much time could I devote to a pursuit like that during a normal day? If the answer is five minutes, great. Let's start with five minutes. If the answer is 15 minutes, excellent. Let's give 15 minutes to it. Um, you can put 15 minutes on your phone. You could put eight minutes on your phone. And if the answer for you is, I'm going to sit on the stoop outside my apartment, I'm going to silence the notifications on my phone, and I'm going to set a timer for eight minutes because I think that would lead me to a place of peace. Let's start there. We're not talking about any prayers. We're not talking about any words, anything like that. We're just pursuing an intentional state of peace. Um, the, the next question would be, what are the potential distractions that would take me out of a, of a state of peace? So three questions. What kind of environment do I think would lead me into a state of peace? Two, how much time could I reasonably devote to something, that kind of pursuit in a given day? And three, what are the distractions that I would need to eliminate in order, as far as I can tell right now, in order to enter into that kind of a state? We're not putting any religious overtones over this. We're not entering any words into this, anything like that. We're just taking some time. Can you start with something like that? Um, Jed talked about goals. Um, like if, if we just start with the goal being, I just want to take some of my day and devote it to getting myself into a peaceful place. Um, and, and then look, if, if there are some things I'm concerned about, some things that are on my heart, um, some things that, that feel like they're too big for me and whatever relationship I have with, with God right now, I'm, I'm going to try to hand those things over to him. Great. Um, that, that's, that's all wonderful, but we're not going to put any pressure on any of that kind of stuff right now. We just want to start with a goal of peace. In, in other words, I'm going to exit out of my normal day intentionally and do something different with a few minutes of it. And those few minutes are calm, peace, 
reflection. And if that takes you into a place of prayer in a couple weeks or in a couple months or you know uh, down the road, great. But the main thing that we need to do is we need to disconnect from this idea that we're not doing something right, therefore we are wrong. Because my, my very strong feeling is that some speaker or some Sunday school class or some, uh, or some person in a religious environment has made you feel like you didn't do a specific thing the way they were describing it, and therefore you were wrong. Let's shelve all of that stuff, and let's just search for and pursue answering some of those questions, a little bit of peace and meditation and calm. And then see if that leads us to a place where we want to call out on the Lord in some way. Uh, it's fantastic stuff from both of these guys. Um, as we are wont to do on this show, I'm going to turn to uh, author Frederick Beekner, who has a passage, actually this is from one of his novels uh, about prayer that actually I think applies to your situation in a way. And I know it really um, not changed, but gave me a new dimension in the way I think about prayer because it's just, Incredibly low pressure. So this is from the uh, his novel Godric, and uh, this is the the main character speaking. It says, "What's prayer? It's shooting shafts into the dark. What mark they strike, if any? Who's to say? It's reaching for a hand you cannot touch. The silence is so fathomless that prayer, like like plummets, vanish into the sea. You beg, you whimper, you load God down with empty praise. You tell him sins that he already knows full well." You seek to change his changeless will. Yet Godric prays the way that he breathes, or else his heart would wither in his breast. Prayer is the wind that fills his sail, else drift with witless tides. And sometimes, by God's grace, a prayer is heard. So uh, it's a beautiful passage just in the writing of it, but I'll tell you why it, it gave me, I think, a lot of freedom about prayer in a way that exactly is Lee and Jed are both talking about here so much of particularly if you grew up in certain ways, you came to it late, even if people give lip service to this not being the case, so much of prayer is about getting some kind of outcome or some kind of feeling as he's, as, and you mentioned in your question, you know, I feel like it's not working and I feel like I'm not really getting a, a huge buzz off it. So I don't know what to do. And I think both Lee and Jed have given you something here that is more uh, reasonable though we are talking about kind of a, a, a fantastical thing in and of itself, but a better goal is to unburden yourself, to feel heard, to uh, do something that gives you some kind of peace and some kind of uh, direction in a very peaceless and directionless world sometimes. And uh, all of that kind of points to me of getting to the point where the prayer is the success as, as an act of faith, as an act of something doing just, if you, no matter how short it is, no matter how casual it is, no matter how uh, tossed off it may seem, you know, shaft into the dark, as as Beekner puts it, it, it counts. It's a good thing. It is a a a healthy thing to have done. I think that will take a lot of pressure off you, as far as needing some kind of big mountaintop moment or some kind of clear answer. And I think the more you get in prayer, is one of those things. The more you get in the habit of doing it for doing it, uh, the better you're going to feel about it. And if you haven't tried that uh, very low-pressure uh, way of casualness, that may seem foreign to you, depending on what you've been taught about prayer. But I think if you're in the spot you're in, it's worth definitely worth a shot. With that, we're moving our final question here. It comes in and says, 
When someone is spouting nonsense in real life or online in the name of Christianity, is there any responsibility to point out that they're wrong? I know it won't change their mind, but what about the people who are hearing them? And uh, this is what we call an age-old question, as old as the internet itself. <laughs> um, uh, definitely a uh, you know, responsibility, as our question asker puts it here, maybe a bit much, but, you know, Jed, I think we, when we talk about either on the internet or in our social groups, people who are coming from a place of speaking for Christians or Christianity, um, we focus a lot, and I think very rightly, on the idea that it's, it, only a fool has a fool's argument, and it's not going to uh, change a combative person's mind to dig into the debate. Often that's what they want. But in this other aspect of what about people who may not exactly know as much as we do that what they're saying is not rooted in any kind of actual Christianity or, or scriptural uh, reality? What Does that change our calculus, or is there something else we can do that we're not thinking about? So this is a great question, and I, I want to link together Admiral Akbar, and then Principles of Economics, wow. and then a Poet Laureate of the United States. Let's begin with Admiral Akbar. It's a trap. It's a trap. You, in general, for most people, most of the time, getting sucked into um, an online or otherwise argument that you're not involved in, that doesn't really have anything to do with you, even if it's something where you happen to know something about the subject matter, for most people, most of the time, it's a trap. Like, you should you should not do that, man. I, I can tell you, I wouldn't. Um, so that's, uh, that's my perspective. Um, and then, but let me unpack why I think it is a bad idea, and it's it's a why that is often overlooked. And this kind of gets into that into an economic principle, something called opportunity cost. One of the weirdest things about life on planet Earth is that every single thing that you choose to do, you're choosing at the expense of an infinite number of other things you could be doing, right? Anytime that you queue up a song on Spotify and hit play, you're choosing that song over the, whatever it is, 100 million other pieces of audio that are on Spotify. That's crazy, man. Right? There, there is a cost that comes with every choice that you make. Every, I feel like everybody should just be streaming our music, Jed. I couldn't agree more. It's, it's One certainly less the best decision for you to make during your day. <laughs> Absolutely. Every every meal that you eat, like every dish that you that you make for dinner, you're choosing that over literally an infinite number of other culinary options that you that you could have chosen, right? And so the reason that this matters is recognizing that every investment of resources you make, you make at the expense of other investments you could have made. And ideally, what this drives us to consider is in general, am I Pursuing the best and highest uses of my resources. That applies to money, yes. It also applies to time. And critically for this question, it applies to emotional energy. You and I and every single one of us have not only limited reserves of the ability to care about things, but far more limited than we think they are. We are alive, for whatever reason, at a time in world history where we are being bled dry on the emotional energy level, like all day, every day. Um, it is, man, it's a hostile world out there. And so for anybody at any time in history, emotional energy is a, 
a limited quantity. But for us alive today, it is a really, really limited quantity. And to argue with people, you are using emotional energy. To get up in a drama that you weren't in and now you are, you are burning so much emotional energy. And in the spirit of opportunity cost, my question for you is, is this really the best and highest use of your limited quantity of emotional energy? I think that's really worth thinking about. And as you think about it, I want to expand that when I say best and highest, I don't necessarily mean the thing that will look great on LinkedIn. I don't necessarily mean the thing that will be impressive to your friends at church. I don't necessarily mean the thing that will let your parents brag about you to their friends. I would like you to begin with considering that the best and highest use of your emotional energy can be the things that lead you to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God cares deeply about the kind of human being that you are. I think for most of us, most of the time, he cares far more about the kind of person you are than the kind of things that you do, right? If, if we have to choose between human being and human doing, I think he's super concerned about the human being part far more than the human doing part. Spend your emotional energy in a way that gets you more and more and more into the kind of person that you want to be and that God wants you to be. For some of us, yeah, maybe it's the thing that we need to do to stand up in the public square and to fight for the truth. For most of us, finding a way to have a heart that's filled with peace and with love is a way, way better expenditure of our limited resources. I promised you a poem, so I'm going to give you one. This is Mary Oliver. This is great. This is a famous poem. It's called The Summer Day. And she ends by asking, tell me, what is it that you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? If you read the rest of the poem, it's actually not about changing the world or curing cancer or fixing societal ills, valuable though those things certainly are. And if you have a chance to be a part of them, I hope that you are. The rest of the poem is talked about just enjoying the beauty of nature and just just being at peace on, on a summer day. And that's really, really important. Before you get into that online argument, I think it's worth asking, would you be better served by simply enjoying the beauty of the day that you are in and letting yourself be present there rather than spending your time and energy on yet another fight? You know, for an episode that started off with us talking about Big League Chew, there's been a lot of <laughs> literary references. And I think that really shows the range this particular show has. And a leave word, we close out this question. I feel like we also redeemed the fruits of the spirit with Jed's response there, too. Hey, hey. thank you. Thank you. Even Nixon. Um, <laughs> my advice is honestly to just to pay more attention and to stay more active in your own circle there where you live, the people that you hang out with. One of the odd things about being, like Jed mentioned this, being alive right now in the way the world is, is. There's just this kind of idea that I can exist and run in every circle um, at the same time with all the people that I grew up with back in my hometown and all the people that I went to college with in that town and all the people that uh, that I've made connections with in this town over here and that town over there. 
And I basically simultaneously exist in three different states, in 17 different cities, and a million different communities. You don't. You, you have some connections and you might have some conversations, but you have proximity with the people that you are with, that you can sit down and have lunch with, that you can reach out and touch. By the way, those are the people that listen to you the most. And one of the odd kind of uh, temptations of the world right now is the idea that I can say the line on Facebook or I can make the response on Twitter or whatever that everybody is going to see as the atomic bomb perfect response or the perfect thing or whatever. Nobody cares. Um, the, the, the things that people pay attention to um, out of your mouth or out of your heart or out of your mind are the people that run with you day in and day out. Um, lean into those relationships that you have proximity with. Um, lean into the relationships of the people that, that, that come and pick you up when your car breaks down or that, that, that help you at the grocery store or, you know, whatever the thing is like lean into your proximate community and, and make that your focus where I love that Jed used the word energy. You have a finite store of emotional energy for the conversations, issues, and relationships in your life. Let a lot of that, that posturing pass you by. Don't worry about the effects of that stuff and know that the people that, that are in your world, those are the people that care about the words that you say, the ways that you respond to situations, the ways that you care and love, be real in those relationships around you. Um, and, and, and don't feel the responsibility to have like a response to every whatever, whatever that, that somebody postures out in the world on, on these, you know, on these media accounts, it just let it pass you by and pay attention to the folks that are around you. I think it's incredibly well put. Um, these guys gave, definitely gave you the right move there. Um, and for your, your very real and I think very smart concern of, you know, what about the people who maybe hearing these things and thinking that these people uh, speak for kind of Christians or as, as a group or you as an individual, or someone who doesn't agree with that. Um, the best thing you can do is build these relationships and build this reputation. So as these guys are talking about, so that if people are confused about that, they come to you. Uh, all three of your, your intrepid podcast co hosts here have had uh, people who are either outside the faith or on the fringes of the faith come up to us and point blank ask, well, you're, you don't like hate gay people though, right? And we were able to say, no, we don't. That's not, you know, the people who say that kind of stuff don't speak for us. Now, to be fair to all of us, and I've done this pretty rarely. I tend to be pretty well behaved on the internet, but I've occasionally either not in response or just put up my own thing, be like, hey, by the way, just in case you're wondering, I'm not down with whatever this crazy thing is. I just need to put that out there for my own sanity. And you're welcome to do that. We're not, uh, we're not giving you a, a communication strategy. One of the beautiful things about being a general generally a private individual on the internet and not someone with a big audience is you can kind of say what's on your mind. And occasionally it is worth saying, um, if you deem it worth, uh, pointing something out to indicate to certain people, maybe you're a safe person to come talk to about stuff or indicate to other people that you really don't want to have those conversations anymore. That's fine as well. That's, that's, you know, that's part of a, a balanced internet diet for the, the, the average person. If you have a certain, certain types of jobs and certain types of positions it may not be the smartest thing in the world or you just don't want the headache that's that's all fine too but uh 
investing those relationships, doing, doing the thing you're, you're, as we point out, you know, often you're, you're much better off um, reaching out to the person from the, uh, the disadvantaged group or the targeted group and being an actual friend to one of them as a real life person is going to do more good in the general than any number of, of posts on the internet to people being insane. For the most part, if you can tell that people are being insane, uh, they know other people can tell that as well. Uh, people can pick up on that and we have to trust them in their, in their own ways on that as well. All right. Great stuff from these guys on all these questions, but it's not a uh, overlook that Jed called his shot on the, the triple crown he pulled off on this question and then nailed it. And you know, thank you. Thank you. The judges were very impressed. It's, it's and really, it's an honor just to be nominated. That's right. He went for something to hide your difficulty <laughs> and he landed it. And he stuck the landing. We always appreciate that. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. If you want to slash ask, if you want to keep that entirely anonymous, take it out this week with something a little heavy. This is from our friends Front Toward Enemy, their version of a Jet song called You Tell Me. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Would you
that's waiting that you purchase through 